I want to share some thoughts, saints, about the new creation. The new creation, what the new creation is all about, and um, just pray that, that I'll be able to put these thoughts together, that it'll be a blessing. Don't worry about the outline right now. What I'm going to do is just share some thoughts and go through some scriptures, and then at the end, we'll fill in the blanks, um, and we'll look at that, something that we can look at afterwards, but... Last Sunday, we talked about how when Jesus came, he came to do really three things, to reveal the Father to us, secondly, to put an end to the law, to magnify the law, to bring it to its end, um, and thirdly, to reveal the mystery of the kingdom of heaven that was coming, the new covenant of grace that was coming, and to speak to his disciples in parables and reveal those things. And... One of the most important things he did in the scripture it teaches is that he was to bring an entirely new creation. Awesome, awesome reality. The prophet said that God was gonna do something so awesome that the prophet said, consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing, an entirely new thing. And that new thing was to actually terminate the Adamic race to end the race that began in the garden and to begin a new race in Christ. Paul says, all men die in Adam, but all men live in Christ. Christ is referred to in the scripture as the last Adam, a new beginning of a new race where there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In fact, the people in this new race are not people from earth at all. They are from above, Jesus said. They are born from above. They are spiritual new creations. That is what he came to do, to end the race, the old race, the fallen race, and to raise a new people. Peter calls us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And this, this revelation is mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. Because what, what the Lord did was, in the beginning, he created the garden. He created the place where he would place man. He created the garden first. And in that garden, there were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And then he created man and placed man in the garden. In this second creation, he also creates a place first for the new man. The new place for the new man is actually Christ himself. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again, that where I am, you may be also. Contrary to popular teaching out there, that is not referring to the second coming of Christ. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come back after a little while. John goes to great pains in his gospel to describe the little while that Jesus is referring to. He said, the world's gonna rejoice when I go away but you're gonna be sad. But in three days, you shall see me again. That's what he was referring to when he said, I go to prepare a place and I will come again. In three days, he would come again. And then he said, and that joy no man will take from you. 
He prepared a place for us in himself. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. In the Greek there, it's not mansions, it's dwelling places. In my father's house are many dwelling places. The dwelling place is actually the spirits of justified men made perfect in him, joined to him. We are living stones, Paul says, of this new temple. Jesus himself is the house of God. When Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days, the scripture says they knew not that he was referring to his own body. He is the house of the Father. He said, in my Father's house, in me are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place. We could not be joined to him until the redemption, until he bled for us, until he became sin for us on the cross. And in that, he took my judgment, your judgment for all sin, for all time. And then he was raised again from the dead. What God did in the resurrection is amazing. He actually raised Christ from the dead and in doing so, prepared the place for us to be joined to him. He is the real garden. And what's so cool about this, saints, we don't just go back to what Adam had before the fall. We are not just back in a garden, even though it's Christ, with two trees in the same situation. No, what we have now is a place in him, and in this place, there's only one tree, the tree of life. And it's not even a tree that's outside of you, you're actually in the tree. You and I are joined to the tree of life. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And being joined to him, you are actually in the tree of life, which is Christ himself. So this, this reality, this reality is a revelation. It's a revelation, it changes our lives. The, the practical thing that really happens in our lives when we see this is number one, we see that God did what he promised to the prophets he would do one day, and that is he would give us a new heart. Before we were born of the Spirit, our hearts were evil. We were born in iniquity. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful in all ways. And the problem in so many believers' minds, I think, is after you become a believer, after you're born again, after you're in Christ, we still think we have a deceitful, evil heart. And the scripture says, no, we have a new heart. The prophet said the day would come when I would wash you with pure water and I'd give you a new heart and a new spirit. That day has come. In Christ, you are new. The scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. If the heart is not new, then what is? I mean, that's what God is after. See, that's the deal with the law. The reason why you can never be righteous by the law is because no matter what you did, how perfectly you kept the law, your heart, my heart, was not there. If I just modified my outward behavior, that's not what God was after. It's the heart that must be new. And we cannot make our heart new. Only God can do that. These people that think they can work on their heart and get the heart better and better and better, they're fooling themselves. And not only are they fooling themselves, they are denying the most awesome work that God accomplished in Christ. We have a new heart. And sometimes we're afraid to talk like this because of two things. We think, well, if I talk like I'm perfect in him and I'm complete in him and I have a new heart, there's two things that come to mind. First of all, I still sin. So what's up with that? 
How do I explain that? How do I understand that? And the second thing we, we think about is, well, is, this, is he talking about perfectionism in your performance? Is he talking about the, we'll finally get to the point where we're gonna be perfect in our performance? And the answer is, to that latter statement, no, we're not talking about, you finally get to a place where you walk perfectly in these bodies. We will never get to a place where we are manifesting perfectly who you are on the inside. For we see in part, we prophesy in part, we manifest in part because we have this treasure in weak earthen vessels. And though we are bearing more and more fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, but as long as we have these bodies, we'll never manifest perfectly who we are in Christ until we get rid of these bodies. And then we shall know all things as we are known and we shall be free from the body to manifest who we are. Isn't that awesome? So we're not talking about perfectionism where you finally get to a place where you don't sin in this body and this earth. No, in fact, those times when we're weak and we fail and we screw up, those are the very times where God says, come boldly to a throne of grace. Let me reinforce this new covenant. I mean, if, we, if, if the only time we go to God is when we're doing things right, it doesn't really have much of an impact. And that's why people accuse Paul of teaching, well, my gosh, Paul, what you're saying, let's just go sin, that grace may abound. He said, Paul said, it's been slanderously reported that we preach, let us go sin, that grace may abound. I'm telling you, if you're not getting that comment from your preaching, you're not preaching the gospel. If nobody would mistake your preaching for something like they mistake Paul's preaching, if no one is saying about your preaching that, well, it sounds to me like you're saying, let's just go sin, that grace may abound, you're not preaching the gospel. You're preaching a legalistic, heavy-handed, man-centered, flesh-centered gospel that no one would ever doubt that you're saying, let's go sin that grace may abound. Yet Paul had that said about his gospel. Isn't that awesome? But we're not saying that, of course. And Paul says, of course not. We're not saying that. That's why he says we've been slanderously reported. Because we're not saying that, nor are we teaching that. Because the way of God is so different from man's ways, religious thinking goes, oh, wait, you, can't, you cannot release people like that. You cannot tell people, number one, that God is not counting their sin against them. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That's the gospel. In this new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more. You can't tell people that, the religious mind says. You cannot say that. And that they have a new heart on the inside. That once they were evil, but now they're good. They're actually good on the inside. But we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works that afterwards we just merely walk in them as they flow out of us. You can't tell people that. The religious mind says that. Why? Because the religious mind does not believe. The big transition from the covenant of law to the covenant of grace was the emphasis of faith. To believe. What is the victory that overcomes this world? Even our faith. Jesus was, everything he did, he would encourage the people that your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Your faith, your faith, your faith. He was bringing a whole new covenant that had nothing to do with man's works and performance, but a revelation and a faith, a belief. Believe only, Jesus said. And I said, didn't I say, if you would believe only, you would see the glory of God. What is the victory that overcomes the world? It's to hear him and believe him. Peter was like, oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, Peter. Believe only. I tell you. Christ is in you. Christ is in us. 
We have been joined to him in this new creation and it's just so simple. He made it simple that the weak could just say, I don't know, I just believe. He chooses the weak to confound the strong. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. And part of this whole heart thing that we're hearing taught sometimes in some circles that you have an evil heart as a believer, a deceitful heart as a believer, a a bad heart as a Christian, part of that is manipulation by leaders. Because if they can convince you that you have an evil heart, then they can also tell you that you need to listen to others, your leaders, to tell you how to live your life because we are God's appointed people to tell you how to live your life. It's a trap. The scripture says you need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth and you shall abide in him. He gave you a new heart that you might be joined to him and not to men. We are servants of each other, brothers and sisters of each other. He is our Lord. Call no man your leader. Call no man your father. Call no man your teacher, Jesus said, for you have one leader, one father, one teacher, and that is Christ. This is what the body of Christ is yearning for. I tell you, saints, we're headed toward a major shift, I believe, in the church. Major shift. You feel it, don't you? It's coming. Like Hazel Parker said, it's going to be like the Berlin Wall. It suddenly fell down and no one was prepared for it. It was like a shock. It just fell. The the religious mindset is crumbling. It's going to crash. The saints are depressed. They're hurt. They're in pain. They're they're looking at themselves, their flesh. They're trying to perfect themselves because they were taught that the, the way to holiness is to inspect yourself, sin detection, confrontation, repentance. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is an awesome, glorious revelation of a union of a God that has come to live within you. He has raised you up to be holy and blameless in Him. He has created you new, holy, and blameless in Him. You are now holy. You are now blameless. Sorry I'm yelling so much. It's so cool. It is so cool. God's way of manifesting the new man is not by looking at the flesh. Sin is in the flesh, that's why we still sin. That was the other thing we were talking about. We still sin because sin is in the flesh. We all have the power of sin still in our flesh. The scripture says the new creation has been raised from within and if we will keep our eyes on the Christ, then the real you will be manifested. We don't, under the law, see that's why the law would never work because the law was all about doing in order to be. We do to be. And you can never do enough to change your heart. Can a leopard remove his spots? No. Only God can take you and I and change our heart and give us a new heart. So now what happens in the new covenant? In the new covenant, we are new now. It's done. We are are being. We are resting in a reality that is. We are We're not trying to be, we are. And just like Clark says, we are becoming or manifesting who we already are. So when we grow, we 
focus our eyes on the, the apostolic admonition was set your mind on things above, not sin in the flesh. The apostolic admonition was to look upon Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. The, the apostolic admonition was to look upon Christ, look upon the glory of God in the face of Christ, to look at him because he has created us in his image and the new man is renewed after a true knowledge or true revelation of him who created us in righteousness and holiness by this truth. The real you will be manifested as you simply rest, as I simply rest and behold him. Jesus said only one thing is needful. Only one thing is needful. Martha was busy, busy, busy trying to do everything. And Mary, on the other hand, was resting at his feet, beholding him and hearing his voice. She was resting at his feet, looking at him, hearing his voice. Jesus said, Mary has chosen something that will never be taken away from her. Jesus said, it's the one thing needful. She was living, simply receiving from him. God's ways are not our ways. The prophet said, as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways, not our ways. Paul says he raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before. That's the gospel. You sit here today because you have believed on him. And not only is your sin not being counted against you and never will, ever, but you sit here today with a brand new heart. How many saints don't really enjoy that because of bad teaching? You have a new heart. What God did was he cut away. Let's look at this. Colossians. Let's look at Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 6. If you would, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Because saints, what we've, what's happened to us is we have, a, we have been circumcised, spiritually circumcised. The only way to get in the Abrahamic covenant was to be circumcised. That was the only thing. There was no requirement to be, keep laws. There were no laws. This was before the Sinai, before the old covenant, before the Ten Commandments. The only way to be in the Abrahamic covenant was through circumcision. And so, and so circumcision was a picture of the real circumcision, as Paul said, the spiritual circumcision that would be according to the heart and not the outward flesh. That's what you and I have. Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about this. In Colossians 2, In verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, 
according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Any authority that says you're not complete in him, that's why Paul said that. He said, if anybody says you're not complete in him, just remember that he is head over all rule and authority, and he says you're complete in him. Verse 11, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Not the Abrahamic type of circumcision, which, which is just a shadow, a picture. But in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Awesome. What God did is just so awesome. I pray that I'll just see more and more clarity on the mystery of my own death in Christ on the cross and the mystery of my own life in his resurrection. It's an unfolding revelation that is the answer to the sin problem, to the flesh problem. It is the answer. A revelation of Galatians 2.20, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in this body by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. The way I see it, saints, is God cut away the body of the flesh, Colossians says. It's a mystery. But what he did was he quarantined the power of sin in the body. He quarantined the power of sin in the flesh. And he cut away the body from our inner man. That's why the scripture says the outer man is dying because of sin. But the inward man is being renewed every day because of the spirit. The outer man is in sin or has sin in it. But the inner man is righteousness, Paul says. It doesn't mean the body is evil. The body is not evil. Christ took on a body. It's the power of sin that's in these bodies. The, the apostles talked about in our members, in our members, there is a mystery of iniquity that still works in our members, in our brain, in our nerves, in our blood. There's a mystery of iniquity that is part of this body. God cut away the body of the flesh and raised us up in him, your inner man has literally been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You literally, by the gift of the spirit, have been moved into the presence of God. You are seated with him. I am seated with him now in the heavenlies. This is the revelation that catapults you into a heavenly reality where on earth we can walk. And even though we stumble, James says, in many ways, we don't get discouraged and down on ourselves. As Paul says in Romans 7, when I find myself sinning, I realize it is not I, but sin in my flesh. 
And that doesn't mean you don't have resp- take responsibility for sin. It's just understanding how this new creation works. And so now we walk in this reality that Christ himself is my life. And so if I stumble and fall, I don't get down on myself and say, oh, my heart must be evil, look what I just did. No, the very fact that when we sin and we walk after the flesh that we feel the sadness of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, grieve not the spirit of God. The reason why we feel sad is because you are a new creation, you have a new heart. That's why you don't like doing the things we used to do before we were born of him. You have a new heart, we have a new heart. And so as we walk in him, we find the manifestation of that life growing. We go from faith to faith and from glory to glory as as we're manifesting who we really are in him. It's a rest from beginning to end. It's a secret to, to living in peace all the time in Christ, regardless of our performance, because it's not about what we do, it's who we are. And trusting the Lord to bring forth who we are. Trusting his way, just like Peter had to get out of the boat and walk on water. It didn't make sense. Men have to get in a boat to float. Jesus said, come. His ways don't make natural sense. They seem foolishness to the natural mind. They are spiritually discerned, but it is the way out. A revelation of him. I mean, think of all the things we believe that are pretty way out anyway. I mean, he came by virgin birth. He put mud in people's eyes and they saw. He was raised from the dead. He ascended above them in the sky. I mean, are we asking too much to believe that he has actually made us new on the inside? No. A prophet said it would come and it has come. Paul says we are of those who are not circumcised outwardly but inwardly of the heart and not of the letter Paul says a new creation and we don't have two natures either saints we don't have two natures the old man is dead and the old man is a function of who I was alienated from the life of God my spirit dead to God my soul in the body with darkened in my understanding, that's the old man. The moment we are born of the Spirit and we are separated from this body of flesh by spiritual circumcision, the old man ceases to exist. He really died. He really died, just like the apostle said. The old man died. And a new man was raised by the gift of the Spirit. When the Spirit touched your human spirit, Paul says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. When the human spirit touches the Holy Spirit, we are one spirit. Jesus said the Pharisees were so concerned with the speck in their brother's eye. And they said, um, and he said to them, you are so concerned about the speck in your brother's eye and you don't see the log in your own eye. And you're trying to get this speck out of your brother's eye and you've you got this log in your eye and so you're gouging their eye, basically trying to get a speck out because you can't see clearly to help your brother get the speck out of his eye. And then he said this, he said, make the tree good and it will bear good fruit. What he was saying was the Pharisees had no clue that they needed to be born again. They had no clue that you can't get the speck out of people's eyes. What's the the bigger problem that God has with people? Not their sin. 
their blindness to the need for a new heart. Because once you see your need for a new heart, that you need to be born again of the Spirit, and that you have a new heart, oh man, then you can help your brother get specks out of their eye. Because you're not going to be focusing on the flesh. You're not going to be trying to perfect him in the flesh. You're going to speak the things of the Spirit. You're not going to know any man after the flesh anymore, Paul says, but after the Spirit. And that means we know unbelievers in the Spirit. We know unbelievers in, in, the, in this sense. We know that they need his life. And we know believers as those who have his life and that are complete in him who is their life. So to the unbeliever, we try to reveal Christ to them that they may receive life. So with the log out of my eye and I see, oh my gosh, it's a matter of being born again. It's a matter of being a new creation. It's a matter of having a new heart. It's a matter of having his life. So now I can encourage those with specks in their eyes to see him. And I'm not gouging their eye anymore because I'm not trying to perfect them with the flesh and with law but I'm trying to reveal him to them. And to my brothers and sisters who are already in him, I nurture that life and encourage them in the truth of who they are in Christ. It's awesome. It's genius. So we speak the truth one to another in love, the truth being who they are in Christ. We speak the truth. We remind each other that you have a new heart. Don't forget that. Don't forget that, brother. You have a new heart. I know you blew it. I know you screwed up. But remember, you have a new heart. Let's, let's find out why that happened. Let's find out what, you were depending on yourself in that situation. Look to the Lord. He's more than able. And he hasn't forsaken you. He's with you. And you're just as righteous today as you were yesterday. It's awesome. It's an unbeatable covenant. It's an unbeatable covenant. The enemy cannot find any way in. It's genius. It's the wisdom of God. And it brings rest. And it brings peace. And you will bear much fruit. And no flesh will glory in his presence. It's awesome. <laughs> so we get in the log out of our eyes and, and, and we see that, wow, the issue is really make the tree good. Well, who can make the tree good? Only God. Only God. Because only one is good, Jesus said. Why do you call me good master? Only one is good. God is good. And if he makes us good, then we're good. When he created in the beginning, he said, it is good. And now he has created again in Christ Jesus. And he says, it is very good. Ah, so cool. Such a rest. We can encourage each other in the faith and grow in this reality. Knowing that we don't have two natures, but one nature, we're not a two-headed monster. We don't have two fathers. We once were from below, but now we're from above. We have one father. We have one nature. Second Peter chapter one, verse two and four. Second Peter chapter one, verse two and four says, now we have been made a partaker of the divine nature. Now we are the sons and daughters of God. And that certainly doesn't make us proud. It makes us incredibly thankful. Isn't that awesome? Well, let's just wrap it up. I just want to encourage us all that as we see more and more that we are really new in him, that God cut away the body of the flesh. Notice where he cut he didn't cut between spirit and soul. The battle is not between your spirit and your soul. 
The apostles taught that the battle was between the inner man and the outer man, between the spirit and the flesh. Romans 7 describes a soul that wants to do right, that hates sin, and that, that has the knowledge of right, but still can't do it because he learned in Romans 7 another principle working that in his members, there was the power of sin in his members bringing him into captivity every time. And the way he got around it was in Romans 8 and rested in the revelation of Christ, a mindset on the spirit he saw that he was new in him. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life. You start trying to be introspective and look in your flesh and try to perfect yourself in the flesh, it will actually stimulate sin, the scripture says, for no good thing dwells in the flesh. But you look at yourself in the spirit and begin to see more and more who you are in Christ, our new selves in him, our new man in him, it will release the power of the spirit of life and rivers of living water will flow forth through faith in him. That's his dynamic. And it's a transformation that's not self-conscious either. Moses saw the glory of God and his face began to shine. Paul takes that example in the Corinthian letter and says, look at this. This is how it works. You look at God. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at the flesh. Don't try to improve yourself. You look at God. See who you are now in him and watch what happens. And Moses began to shine just as he saw the shining of God. Paul says that's exactly how it works. And what's so cool about that, saints, it says Moses was not aware that his face was shining. The transformation of Christ in your life is not a self-conscious thing. It's not self-conscious. You are so focused on Jesus, you don't really realize your face is shining. Others will acknowledge the good thing that is in you by Christ Jesus. Others will say, man, thanks for being so patient. I really saw Christ in you, brother. Thanks. And you'll go like, what? When was I patient? I don't, you see? It's not a self-conscious kind of righteousness that is all flesh. No, you're looking at God. You're lost in him. You're lost in him and you're reflecting him. The real you is getting out. And Moses knew not that his face was shining. He was just being himself in Christ, not getting down on himself when he stumbled and fell because he knew the truth. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Our righteousness never diminishes because it is his righteousness. Awesome. Man, that'll preach. <laughs> and that's the body of Christ is supposed to be this awesome, otherworldly people that encourage each other in this truth, in this reality, with Jesus himself being the focus and the life of every believer welcoming anybody to come and believe and believe and receive. Awesome. A new heart. Well, as we wrap it up, Lord, I just pray that you would help us see more and more this reality. You said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free. Help us see, Lord, the mystery of our own death for we were crucified with Christ. 
Help us see that you buried the flesh and you no longer relate to us based on the flesh. Help us see the mystery of our our own resurrection in Christ and that you relate to us now as alive from the dead, never to die again. Help us see that you relate to us as your sons and daughters, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Help us see, help us see, help us see. For you were sent to open the eyes of the blind, to show the goodness of the Father. Oh, the goodness of the Father. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, to change their mind, to leave a hopeless road of performance, a treadmill of trying to please an angry God, which is not even the reality. Change our mind and receive a gift.